Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to another edition of Insights. Um, I'm really excited about this one. First, it's the first one I'm doing, not from a studio and not from Manhattan, from East Hampton. And um, I can't think of a better location to do this interview with Christopher Coy. Uh, um, he wrote a great book called Big Game Hunting. And what's really interesting about the book, and I, listen, is there's reason why there's no cover on the book. I literally was reading the book for a second time this weekend on the beach, and it was a little windy, and the cover blew away, which I'm embarrassed to say. But the book didn't. Um, it is incredible. And it was really ironic for me reading the book because it's all about networking and meeting famous people, business executives, world leaders, and I'm sitting there on the beaches of East Hampton where whoever knew next to me, around me, are a lot of the big game hunters that he talks about in the book. Let me work, welcome Christopher to the show. Chris, how are you today? I'm doing well, Ben. Thanks so much for this opportunity to share some tips on how we can make this world a better place. I love it. I mean, listen, your your book actually resonated me resonated with me for a couple of things. One one thing that I loved in the book, in the beginning of the book, you talk about how I guess how you really started becoming a big game hunter. And it was you wanted recommendations and you sent lots of letters. I can't tell the story, but how did you start in this whole process of figuring out how to meet people that could help you in your career, in your life, in business? or even in school. Yeah, so as you know, Ben, as a fellow New Yorker, there's a reason why people say when you have made it in New York, you can make it anywhere. And there's not truth to that because if you live in a city like New York City, the biggest and best city in the U.S. and arguably the world, I'm being yeah. biased, but when I'm seven years old and it's snowing, and what compels me to get my friend Jocko, my best friend at the time, we put on our overcoats, our gloves, and our shovel, we start knocking on doors when it's really cold, but... It's snowing, so therefore our neighbors don't want to walk outside, so therefore a seven-year-old kid and a five-year-old kid with a shovel in the hand, and we'd knock on the door and say, hey, do you want us to shovel the snow from your porch? And they say, yes. And so when I'm making $100 as a seven-year-old, I'm like, whoa. So the entrepreneurial dream was started very early because my mother was a former school teacher, my father's former case manager, so we didn't have any access, no connections, no money. But the seed was planted that entrepreneurship was the way to move forward for more opportunities, more giving him for more choices in life. And then the pivot point was when my uncle hired me at his insurance company in Manhattan, Lower Manhattan, Lower East Side. He was an immigrant from Hong Kong, and he created his own insurance company and hired me at age 12. And when I saw him as an entrepreneur, my first person, my first mentor of that sort, I didn't even know what a mentor was. I didn't know what an entrepreneur was, but I saw him working with his clients. I saw him working with these very successful business owners, and that was when the networking seed was planted, and the, the, the massive shift was when I started working at American Express on Wall Street, and I was literally building out global sales decks for all biggest clients like IBM, Pfizer, Microsoft, and seeing that once you get to a certain level on Wall Street at American Express, you start seeing why people are successful. If you and I are best friends with Ken Chanel, who is the incoming CEO at the time, well, what opportunities do we have? Or if your neighbor in East Hampton is Alec Baldwin, what opportunities do you have in the this world of entertainment. So when I started realizing and connecting the dots where your success really is based on your network, and everyone knows that it's cliche, but 
they always say, well, you're the five people that you surround yourself with. Well, who are those five people? How do you find them? How do you connect? How do you work with them? How do you engage? So it's great to say, oh, yeah, your network is your net worth, but how do you actually do that? And big gamer is just a term I created where it's the most influential people in the world, like the billionaires, multimillionaires, celebrities, and, and CEOs of Fortune 500 companies because everyone might want to network well, but most people don't know how to do it at that scale. No, they don't. I, I think in general, people don't know how to work, network at at all, right? It's interesting. For, for our organization, I did a talk once on making yourself an opinion leader. And, and for me, it was trying to tell people, like, do things you're uncomfortable with. Create a podcast, right? Just do it. doesn't matter if you have one listener. It's the power of one. Or if you create a podcast, then aren't you considered part of the media? So you can use it to get into an event. And, you know, you need to go to networking events and collect, not just collect business cards, but create relationships. And people aren't good at doing that. I agree with you, Ben. Again, what you just said is the core reason why they don't, meaning they don't have courage. They don't have courage to walk up to Elon Musk or Richard Branson or, Richard, or Bill Clinton. They don't have courage to go on a podcast. They don't have courage to do things. But in life, you will have to get through your fears because ultimately your dreams are behind those doors of fears. And with what you're saying, whether you're building a company or meeting someone that's successful, what I find, unfortunately, is that they place the value on themselves and they don't understand that. I don't care who you are, Ben, or Elon Musk, or physically. People always ask me, how do you approach someone like that? What value do you bring? And I always say, look, you first have to accept, as I said in my book, Ben, you have to accept that we as human beings all have the same human value. And yep. that's really important because a lot of people, they, they doubt themselves and they think they don't have value. And I'm like, no, we all have the same human value, but there are very clear levels of networking. There are very clear levels of social economic background. There are very clear levels of education. And when people don't confuse their value as a human being, for the value of the external things, then they already start walking toward the truth of life, which is I value myself because my mother and father may raise me right. I don't question my value for Elon Musk, anyone I meet, because I know my value myself. And then if you want to meet someone like Elon or someone that's successful, then it's about how can I serve this person? How can I give to this person? How can I build a longer-term relationship and don't be a groupie? I love how you, how you put it because I think a lot of it goes in the beginning is just people's confidence or fear of rejection and you're turning around of forget about fear of rejection. What is your self-worth? What do you bring to the table? And I think that's a unique way to look at it because it's, you know, like the stories of when you were in college and you would go to a bar and you wanted to walk up to someone of the opposite sex, right? And you wanted to, it, it was the courage to do it as opposed to going like, Hey, I, I'm worthy. I should have this conversation. I'm going to make something meaningful. And I think I love how, how you, Put that, And one of the things you actually wrote in the book is you say um, in your introduction, ignorance is not bliss. Self-awareness is bliss. How important is self-awareness, do you think, for if you were going to tell someone aspiring to network? I mean, do you need to be really self-aware? Yes. If you want to be successful, and it really comes down to, Ben, your level of ambition. What I mean is you're an ambitious guy. I'm an ambitious yep. guy, so we're at, least at the same level or above because if someone is not self-aware, they don't even know what ambition is. And again, there are levels. When I'm coming back from Davos in January, where I bump into Tim Cook, the CEO of yep. Apple, I'm talking to Ray Dalio, the biggest hedge fund guy in the world, there's a different level, right? They don't know who I am, and I'm fine with that, but I still want to learn from them. But what I'm saying is, unfortunately, people don't really accept 
that you have to be aware of what you want and what you can give. That's the most basic thing. So with networking, especially at this level, you have to be super clear because 99% of people, there's actually four levels of networking, Then The first yep. one is what 90% of people do, which is horrible and wrong, which is traditional. I don't even have this in my book, by the way. So you're getting like sneak preview of the private clients that I do because the first level is literally traditional networking, which is dead, boring, doesn't work. The second level is science-based networking. There's a guy named Ron Burt. He literally studied networking science, and he found that your network is the number one best predictor, and it came down to two things. You have either a closed network or an open network. If you and I were buddies growing up in Woodside, Queens, and all mm-hmm. we know is you and I at the Catholic school, and we don't know anyone beyond our three friends, then that's a closed network. But as soon as it's branching out where you're in East Hamptons, I'm in Beverly Hills, I'm in Zurich, I'm in South Africa, then that's called an open network, and the people that have open networks are more successful, and this is based on science. So that's the second level. The third level is, okay, now that you know you have to broaden your networks in an open network with different tenders, different races, different socioeconomic backgrounds, then it's about, okay, the big gamers. How do you reach them? How do you meet them? How do you find these events? And the last tier is what I call next level networking, Ben, which is as a speaker. When you're a speaker, I go on these stages, and I've literally spoken at the same events in the same year or opposite years where, let's say I was in Saudi Arabia last November, and Bill Gates spoke the, the year before. I spoke at Money 2020 a few years back, and Richard Branson spoke the year after me, and Steve Wozniak spoke the year I was there, but that's the largest conference in the world where there's 12,000 people across four days. And so when you're behind the stage, you're meeting Max Levchin, the co-founder of PayPal. You're meeting John Collison, the co-founder of Stripe. But what I'm saying is people don't realize that no one tells you this stuff. No one tells you about these four levels. Like one thing, when you were talking about showing up at events, and, you, and a lot of people's excuses. I can't afford to, right? And you go, well, you can volunteer, you can, you know, there's different ways. But one of my favorite ones that you put is, if you know an event's happening, you go to the lobby. Um, you still dress as if you're going to the event, and you have that random encounter. And that's all you need, right, is that opportunity to have a meaningful conversation. They have no idea you're not really at the event. You have no, I mean, it's, it's, I think you need confidence, but you need to have a, a, a vision and a mission of what you're going to accomplish. But I love how you look at it. Every negative I can give you why it won't work for me, you're giving me three reasons why or something to try. Yeah, because Ben, at the end of the day, if you want conventional results, then go to a conventional path. I'll go to college and get a degree. Maybe I'll get into a good school. And then when I graduate, maybe I'll try to get into an iBank. Maybe I'll try to be an entrepreneur. But to make sure your listeners get what I'm talking about. If let's say I want to go into your world, digital media, I would literally just stalk you on all the platforms, see which conference you go to, look at where the conference person is, find out where the hotel is on the website, on the website, you know, and go there. And, and it, it literally, it seems simple. I still do this. And I've gotten clients. And what's funny, Ben, is that the lobby hugging concept, which is literally go to a lobby of a conference and the conference, when they're there at a hotel, they show the, the, the agenda, but you have to go to the more four or five star hotels. What's funny, Ben, is lobby hugging actually is the highest level of networking there is because you're literally like a Navy SEAL where you dive in there and you know no one, but as long as you have a story. And what's funny is I have a friend who's an FBI agent, former FBI agent for 20 years. He went undercover for two years, and he said, Chris, you'd be a great undercover agent because you know how to build rapport, and that's what they do. You go undercover, you build rapport, you have to have a backstory to know why you're there, but really, the lobby hugging concept, there's no excuses. So, of course, if I don't live in Beverly Hills, I don't have a business. It doesn't matter. Whatever four or five-star hotel, hotel you are close to, there's no excuses. That's why, unfortunately, people 
it go back to the confidence in themselves and self-worth. I don't have issues with my self-worth, thankfully, because I have a great family background, but it wasn't perfect. It was when I realized, as you read in my book, when I literally was writing a book about college success in my early to mid-20s, I'm like, all right, I need people to include their expertise in my book. So I emailed or wrote, I think it wasn't even email at the time, I think it was late 90s, but I reached out to the mayor of New York, and I thought, well, if I'm going to reach out to the mayor, why not reach out to the governor and the attorney general and the vice president and the president? Because when I realized that if you shoot really high, you don't get it. Who cares? It goes back. you got to be in it to win it, so you have to try it. I also like one of the points you made is when you see people, if you can't get to that person, if you talk to the people around them, and then you get – it's a way to get to their inner circle, and if you, you know, become friendly and chat with people, it's about that network that you're in. So it doesn't have to be – it's not like you only have one shot. You have multiple shots from the people around you. So let me ask you a question. So, you know, you speak at these same conferences. What's the line or what should I do if I want to approach Christopher? And whether it's because I'm thinking of writing a book and I want to get your advice or I want to just tap into something that you're doing, how should people approach someone like you when you get off the stage? So it depends on how much time you have. If you only have two minutes, I have an acronym called CAF, which I put in my book, C-A-L-F. Literally, please stand for compliment. Christopher, thank you so much for being here. I really loved your speech. A, ask, whatever it is. The best way since I'm a speaker, you're like, Christopher, I loved your speech. You might be perfect for my conference. I'd love to explore you speaking at my conference. You're asking, L is you leave, because if I have hundreds or dozens of people approach me, which is usually what happens if you're a good speaker. And then lastly, you, you, you follow up. What do you think the biggest mistake some people make when they're, you know, networking? It goes back to what you said, self-awareness, but it really is that phrase, man, I'm really good at working in the room. Working yeah. in the room is a complete waste of time if you're in the wrong room. And I have to stress that. You have to have to have to do research and the crazy thing is, Ben, I have a lot of realtor clients and a lot of wealth manager clients, and sometimes they don't realize that they literally post the percentage of executives that are on their website because for the sponsors that want to seek sponsors, they'll say, if you want to be a sponsor for an event, we have 82% who are senior executives. So it doesn't take too long to look at the website, which I do as a speaker, by the way. If I know that Richard Branson's sitting there, then that's a high level conference because either someone knows Richard Branson or they have six figures to hire him, so I already know I'm in the right room. And so the biggest mistake I see is they don't do research. They go to free events, convenient yep. events, things that fit their schedule. But I always test people, Ben. Like, let's say I met you literally this Saturday. And I yep. was going to go to this Hollywood Hills party. And I always say, because I don't know who you are, but it's all about giving. And this happened, yep. by the way, when I did meet Elon Musk. At 11 o'clock at night, I texted one of my buddies. They didn't know him very well. I'm like, yo, if you want to come meet Elon Musk, come now. And he came. And he met Elon Musk as he's coming now. But beyond the whole meeting Elon Musk, he got in the right room. It's, it, is, it is really fascinating. And it goes back to like, seize the opportunity. Like, like your friend wants to have an opportunity to meet someone. There not, might not be another chance. And it's not, ju it's not just in big game hunting and networking. It's in business. You have an opportunity to meet a client that could end up being one of your biggest clients, but it didn't fit into your calendar for some reason, that makes no sense. You have to seize the opportunity because you don't know when the next one's going to come. And one of the things in your book that really kind of resonated with me was the two plus two weekly goal of relationship building. 
Can you explain what that is and how does it actually work for you? Yeah. And so whether it's one plus one, two plus two, whatever it might be, but one of my mentors and colleagues, her name is Angie Chin, one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. She's the former CFO of Coffee Bean. For those of you in California know that Coffee Bean is a competitor of Starbucks. But my point is she's super smart. She's a CFO, understands finance, and she pretty much said that's her strategy. She always meets two people that she doesn't know. They're new. So she meets two new friends that always have novelty in life, and that's been studied by science. If you want to be a high performer, you have to constantly learn. And the other is two old relationships that you want to build deeper relationships. So the two plus two is every week find two old friends or two old colleagues or two old clients that you want to dive deeper to build deeper relationships, long-term thinking, not transactional, but transformational. Mm-hmm. And then two new relationships, whether in my case, you're a new relationship. I don't know you, yep. but you already created this awesome platform, so I don't usually even do these podcasts anymore. But again, we're busy people. But you're at right. a certain status in terms of level. You seem like a cool guy. I looked at your various videos. So you seem very genuine. And it might be an opportunity for growth for both of us, right? And you asked me and offered me. I said, cool. So the two plus two, simply speaking, is you find two new friends a week to develop new relationships or new clients, new prospects, and two old friends. And if you want to just start simple, just do two, one. One new friend, one old friend. And if it is a business, and it's not stopping, by the way, even COVID. No one's stopping you from LinkedIn or Facebook or TikTok, it doesn't matter. I, I agree a hundred percent with that. I mean, listen, it doesn't. There's no magic wand. You got to put in the work. Um, relationships take time and effort. Which, and you just brought up, it was going to lead me to my next question. Is like, what's advice for networking in COVID? And you know what? I always tell people, COVID, non-COVID. I send me a genuine LinkedIn message, right? That it isn't a, hey, oh wow, I find your profile really interesting. Then there's dot, dot, dot. Hey, are you interested in databases? No, no, no. That's not, that's not engaging me. Tell me you're looking for something in a career. Flatter me a little bit, but, but have, like, be meaningful. Don't just be a salesman, you know? Yeah. Here's a great thing. What people don't realize is we're human beings, Then, If you're doing a podcast, clearly you're doing it for a reason, whether it's you find it interesting, whether you want to build your brand, whether you want to connect with people like yourself, but you are front-facing, which means you have a level of I desire to be in the front of people, which means you want people to see you, which means if I say, hey, Ben, I really admired and really learned so much about the interview with you on that day with this person, and this is the one specific thing I learned, which pretty much I'm saying I'm complimenting you, but I'm being very specific so you know I'm not full of you know, what I'm full of. And so you're like, wow, this guy is really specific, so I'm confident. Going back to who doesn't want a genuine compliment? Because like you said, in the COVID world, I can't tell you how many people, Ben, first of all, they don't have a picture on their profile, so immediately my team deletes them. And most people have business, they don't even look at their own stuff. And then beyond that, they have this rambling uh, message after you accept them, or they don't have a personal invite. And, And in personal invite, I literally say, Ben, Saw so your interview with Christopher Kai, phenomenal advice on networking. Would you yep. want to be on my podcast or interview my boss, hey. who's a senior executive who makes $100 million a year? I, I, I agree. So let me ask you a question. Um, nothing to do with this. Do you like presenting virtually at all? Or do you, I, for you, yeah. how much do you miss <laughs> the human interaction? And what's the second, since like you can't do that right now, what's the next best thing for you? Really? It's like someone stuck a dagger in four ventricles of my heart. <laughs> right. Because really, what 
connects us all is, is connection. And mind you, this is 20 years into my journey. And January, February, I was traveling 40,000 miles in Davos and Switzerland and Saudi Arabia and Dubai and London and Australia. So I'm, I'm at my peak. But I also yep. know I have these online programs where my giving now is I turn back on this podcast called the Gifters Podcast where I said to myself, how can I be most purposeful in giving the sufficient of my time? And so I created this podcast where we share stories and both a 10-minute version, which is free, and then if other right. people that want a longer form, then I, I charge okay. that. But what I do now is just really continue to give their stories and learn. And ultimately, I still do virtual gigs, but I have an entire, you know, hundreds of clients online that I'm teaching them how to build a report, teaching them how to network, teaching them how to brand themselves. So for me, it, it really comes down to, though I can't be on the stage yet, I can be on the virtual stage. Christopher, that, that is like the perfect way to end this. I just have one question for you that I ask almost everyone. What's your favorite word? Love. Oh, man, there's no better way to end. Listen, um, this was a lot of fun. It was a pleasure meeting you. Um, I feel like I made a new friend. Can't wait to continue this. Um, thank you. Most importantly, stay safe and um, have a great rest of your day, sir.